You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, Sean Scardina. I am so excited for this week. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about interoperability from that NATO conference, so you should check that out, that episode. But really what we were talking about is pulling in stakeholders, people with different competencies, especially as they're moving forward in uh, their selective sphere of influence within emergency management. Today, I'm very honored to talk with Jessica from the state of Indiana and Jeremy from FEMA. He's the FIT. You can talk about what a FIT is, the federal, federal, whatever. We can talk about that in a second. Yes. Like I said, informal here. So um, we're going to have a good conversation talking about how those two pieces work. We have a state perspective. We have a federal perspective. We have to deal with general populations and how do we both train emergency managers and uh, you know the general population in those exercises. And so a lot of things to discuss here. Jeremy and Jessica, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Really thank good to be you. here. <laughs> <laughs> well done. So, okay, Jeremy, what, what does FIT stand for again? So it's a FEMA integration team. Integration team. Yeah, we're integrated right with the state uh, uh, emergency managers right in their state office and work with the state on a day-to-day basis. Great. And so you're at a FEMA Region 5, which I'm aware of is in Chicago. So if you're integrated with the state there, when you say a team, how many members of your team are actually with Indiana? Uh, so my team currently has three uh, personnel on it. Um, other states, you know, the makeup is different for each state, but Indiana has three folks that are preparedness specialists, which I am, recovery specialists, and a grants man. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So you got, you got a small team there. And then, Jessica, you're in charge of exercises. And so just for the sake of our audience, can you give a perspective of what your scope of work is? 
Yeah, sure. So for the state of Indiana, we are divided into regions. If you can think about our little state, we have the north, central and south. In that, we have divided that up into districts. And so the, the way that we run our program is we do what we call a, a crawl, a walk, a run. We work with our planning team. We come up with a hazard. Uh, and Jeremy and I will talk about how we do that later because Jeremy is involved in that if, in assisting us with that. Um, but we talk about hazard. We help write the plan. And then we will seminar. We will workshop that plan, fix it tabletop or uh, do a couple of games, fix it, go back, do a drill, do a functional, fix it, and then we full scale that plan. So for us, an exercise, one exercise series lasts three years. First year, we're figuring out the plan and writing the plan. Second year, we're training the plan, right, with our tabletop, our discussion-based exercises. And then that third year is where we're going to get our hands dirty, get tactical, blow things up, respond to it, figure out what we didn't know, fix the plan, and just continue that cycle. That's an awesome way to look at it. I like the three-year perspective on that. Often what I found, and, and Jeremy could probably speak to this too, those FEMA days, it was like, hey, every single exercise was a no-notice. It was like hurricane, no-notice tornado, no-notice. and Earthquake in California. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, we usually have 120 hours out for hurricanes. We usually see the tornado come in, yep. but every time it was in the middle of the night, no training, just throw it right in there. And so um, right, exactly. I, I love the idea of well, crawl, walk, run. Uh, I like the idea of hazard base. That's really excellent. And so you said that Jeremy's going to be talking about in a second, but in terms of historical, if you're on this three-year process that you're working through that, what hazards have you already addressed in India? I'm, I'm guessing a flood and maybe tornado. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The things that kind of, so we get our data from our threat hazard identification risk assessment. Mm. So our thyroid data and um, we hold a, now it's called an integrated preparedness planning workshop where we have private sector, healthcare, feds, uh, state level agencies, uh, the airport and things like that. We all come together and we talk about what are our top five. Mm. So what's the thing emergency manager, local emergency manager, what is the, the top five things that keep you, you know, you got gaps, you know, what happens every year, you need training or you need equipment. How can we almost prove that by taking this plan? Let's exercise the plan. And we find, oh yeah, if this fire department, let's say had another aerial truck, Life, life safety and incident stabilization taken care of. So it's a little bit of, of let's all get together, let's figure it out. And we do it on that regional level. We do it on a state level and then a regional level and then the district level. So there's myself, I'm central region. I've got a partner that's north, a partner that's south and the state exercise officer takes care of, well, all of the babies and all of the state level stuff. As a team, we do that all together. and. Um, so everything from damage assessments with severe weather, because tornadoes all of, all of the time, um, we've done a lot of that. We are currently working towards an upper um, communications and communications outage, long-term power outage, and the cascading effects of that, which for this little exercise we're working on now, we're going to stand up a logistical staging area and 
figure out how how all that works. When you talk about whole community approach, you're going to have volunteers that are running the thing. You're going to have EMs that are in the EOC and IMAT team, maybe, or an INT helping to do your daily ops while there's an LSA staff going on. And then you have your uh, com uh, commodity points of distribution. So all of the things and cyber, oh my gosh, cyber, 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 cyber. So we are doing workshops all over the state. Um, we did them virtually through um, Microsoft Teams and we're gonna keep doing those. So that is sort of a side project. Um, that was number one hazard on everyone's list was cyber. Of course, then real world pandemic. Um, mm. And there's that part of it too. So, you know, I've, a lot I think of those hazards are cyber. what we, we touch on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you hit, you hit so many different areas there. Um, but as you, you, like everybody's listening to the show, you know, probably has the same perspective here. Pandemic hits, you still have the cyber issues. Pandemic hits, you still have the flooding issues. And so how does the pandemic, when I what I would call it, a, now you have a constant dual threat scenario or multi-threat scenario. Are you looking at that? I mean, you, you said you talked about a hazard before, but now, you know, you're cascading events from a single, a single issue now rolls into all these other issues. Um, what, is that, what does that look like in your exercise design? I will tell you that it has somewhat supported the idea of we don't want to like we have to find that that area between we're pushing, pushing, pushing and it's not realistic. Right. Mm. But holy cow, if 2020 didn't teach us that realistic is not one at a time we have a pandemic response, right? We have civil unrest response. We have power outages due to whatever in the summertime, all happening all at the same time. So back in the day, in the before times, what I call, when I would say, I got a great idea for a scenario. Now, hear me out. And it's something happening that's somewhat complex. That would never happen, Jess. That would never happen. I can tell you now, uh, I do not get that anymore out of my scenarios. Right. So we just tabled, did a tabletop for a long-term power outage during a heat wave. Mm. And, and the power outage was due to a solar event. So space weather. Oh. I no longer get that will never happen. That's not a thing. I don't get that anymore. So I think that mentality has somewhat shifted that holy cow, we are in a world where we have to be ready, right? That ready state, but not ready for just that tornado, but mm. that tornado and that cyber attack that happens at the same time and, and multi trying to multi respond to uh, with the resources that you have. Yeah. What you're, I mean, it's funny that you brought up uh, space weather. I, I get uh, like that topic is usually like, very polarized, ironically, because it's dealing with the earth. I will say, though, for those, those naysayers who bring that up, though, uh, because inevitably I'm going to get people emailing me or putting this on social media. Uh, real world, all the time, we have to look at flights and moving cargo and impacts to GPS. Um, and weirdly enough, there's a group in D.C., an agency that tracks space weather 
and they have to inform people who own carrier pigeons, these like $100,000 carrier pigeons. Oh. Because when space weather happens, the their shift to the magnetic. Oh, okay. so oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so people get really angry. They're like, hey, where did my carrier pigeon go? And that, that might seem minor to some, but when you're talking about flights that fly over the pole, when you're talking about cargo ships that are automated and, and going across seas, and now all of a sudden, they can't track it. They don't know where they are. That is exactly yeah. right. Yes, yeah. it is. So I agree. There are there are going to be naysayers, but I have to say there would not be a space weather center if it wasn't a thing, you know, yeah. um, and, and a scale of of how bad it can be and what the what that means for communications and the world that we live in, where we've got phones that our little computers every day and what like you were saying you know what happens if that trucker that's bringing my commodities into my logistical staging area to help save the lives of my people is running on a gps with no map because who uses maps anymore yeah and it hits and there's no you know that everything's lost so yeah. so when you said long-term power outage jeremy i'm gonna get to you i promise this, 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 this <laughs> yeah, no worries uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff long-term power outage are you talking about a week two weeks? i mean what does long-term mean to you what in terms of your exercise is it a month so it's funny that you ask because that was actually a question that was given to me during the tabletop and the way that i approach that is we are very much disasters and situations begin and end locally. So a two week power outage could be nothing for my central Indiana folks because they've got the resources, but a two week power outage down South or up North in those real rural areas could be a big freaking deal. So in the scope of the space weather, it was months mm. where things were gonna be bad for months but i i did sort of just leave it kind of open-ended asking questions to that county specifically it's a long-term power outage for you southern county which like i said could be different from other counties that have more resources handy if that makes any sense yeah and i i would i would also push back on the two-week thing i mean you look at the state of texas i think after a week of no power uh, during the winter, I think the, I don't think any state would be like, hey, a week of no power. I mean, that that impacts everything. And that could be that could be due to, uh, to several issues. Um, I think of a couple again, an, another uh, another real world scenario of long term power outages, obviously from a hurricane Katrina. One of my yeah. favorite stories of all time is when uh, the governor of Louisiana, who uh, she got up there and she was like, if I, she got on the national news, if I see any eluding, we're going to shoot on site. And she's, she blasted this out to the media. Well, there was no power in Louisiana, Mississippi, or one other state at the time. So in the tri-state area, no power. Nobody was watching this news conference. And it was purely for like show. And it just cracks me up of like, who, who's your audience here? You know? Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to, to think about long-term power outages and impacts of critical infrastructure, which is definitely, see, I'm, I'm, I'm smoothly moving over to Jeremy here. The, the federal perspective of critical infrastructure, uh, we definitely have the, um, you're talking about cyber before, but, you know, honestly, like just systems working, um, that DHS critical infrastructure list, the ESF, the, the, those community lifelines. And so, Jeremy, were you involved in that response or in that exercise? And if you weren't, 
can you talk about in general just like power outages and how FEMA approaches getting those systems back online? Yeah, definitely. So I, I've actually I've been a part of the state of Indiana's exercise process since I've been with the state. So during their IPPW, I provided uh, uh, briefings on community lifelines. Uh, that way, their county emergency managers had a better understanding of lifelines and how to incorporate lifelines into their planning efforts as well as you know during a response. Um, and then additionally, you know, um, working through with them, partnering with the. Uh, Jess and her uh, at the exercise staff in Indiana, you know, working through their exercise with respect to what uh, types of uh, resources they might might need. For example, generators, you know, especially with their logistic staging area exercise, they just uh, conducted, you know, kind of taking a look at that um, and, uh, you know, maybe suggesting uh, ways of different ways of doing things with respect to, you know, maybe focus on C pods at the county level. Um, because that's really, you know, the goal uh, that we want to get the counties really up to speed on, you know, working C pods and being able to support the community, um, and then let the state work on the larger logistics exercise or staging area to support the state overall. Um, so that's pretty much been my role supporting the state with exercises at least, and then at the larger scale, you know, just looking at power outages in, in general, trying to identify um, the types of facilities that, that critical infrastructure within the state that might might need a generator in the event that power is out for an extended period of time. Um, so, uh, you know, one way, obviously, the Army Corps of Engineers is able to do assessments on facilities, and hopefully the state will be able to uh, be able to have the Army Corps come in, you know, potentially next year or in the future to do uh, generator assessments on, on various in infrastructure that they identify. So as you're talking and you're thinking about, uh, as I was saying about critical infrastructure and uh, human populations, heat waves, cold waves, uh, cold waves, cold snap, um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's, it's like we, we look at that. Um, me being from Ohio, so this is my putting on my Midwest hat here for a second. Right. The time of year, the time of day would dramatically impact how we Definitely. deal with a power outage. If you yep. if, if a power outage, for whatever reason, we don't need to go into the reason but power outage happened during an Ohio state football game mayhem. It would be absolute <laughs> catastrophe, you know, not just exactly. population, but like, <laughs> where did the game go? You know, you'd have like, right. you'd have couches burning in the streets. Uh, you'd, you'd probably blame Michigan. Uh, Michigan ran into a, uh, to, uh, you know, um, uh, a power station. By the way, if you're a Michigan fan, I'm sorry. Uh, you've lost now yeah. for 3,598 days, I believe is the count the last right. time they won. Yeah, I'm hardcore, <laughs> like I said. So it would be, uh, be a big problem during Ohio State game. But, uh, but actually, though, you know, there was a large power outage back in the Northeast, you know, back several years ago that I actually went through when I lived in Ohio. And it was out for at least four days, I think, in, you know, the entire part part of the north part of the state so it, it may happen in the future you know hopefully not like it did then but um you have to be prepared for that okay real okay, talk real. though the browns if that, that game went off who cares they suck like <laughs> um okay but like so i was in california uh during uh, a five-day power outage due to heavy winds and 90 yeah. percent of our neighborhood was without power for five days, 10% had power. Now as an emergency manager, 
who has a GIS background. Uh, I so you're talking about a thyra before that's had through its identification risk assessment. Um, I like to do an analytically based hazard vulnerability assessment, not just for myself, but for the communities. And I think that's really part of that thyro or part of a really a hazard mitigation, really part of a EOP as well. But anyways, so in that hazard vulnerability assessment for our house, a localized HVA, we looked at about 15 different things that just to be aware of our hazards. And when we, when we bought our house, there was one utility company who has been found liable for like 90% of the wildfires, all the power outages, and then 10% of our neighborhood was with the other power company that had much more reliable systems, newer, blah, 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 blah. And we moved into that 10% into our area in our, in, uh, in our neighborhood. And that shows that you don't have to be doomsday preppy. I'm like super anti-doomsday preppy. It's just knowing right. your local hazards. Yeah. And saying, hey, like, I'd rather live on top of the hills instead of at the bottom for the flood. I'd rather live in a, with a utility company that's more reliable. Sure. And so it was like yeah, no true. impact Just in like, my life, but it was definitely impact yeah. all my neighbors, right? So you're talking a lot of, now we're talking like in terms of an exercise design, social vulnerability. Uh, you're talking about the local level. Man, I'm, I'm going off all the checklists off of my head of like how a power outage could impact. Um, and I'm sure... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd actually ask uh, people, if you're listening to the show, if you have ideas of how a, a power outage impacts your area and what to do to mitigate that, that'd be excellent to get that on our social media feeds uh, to hear back. But in terms of a generalized exercise design, you, you, you presented, Jessica, this, this three-year concept. And now with Jeremy providing your, your background of like hey, how you've integrated um, what are the steps moving forward? I mean, you kind of, you both already touched on like stakeholders and using them, but if you're going to give advice to emergency managers in the field, uh, first responder, we have a lot of first responders actually listening to this show now, which is uh, really cool. Um, as they learn about and try to work with stakeholders, especially during the exercise design process, what do you think are like the top three priorities to working with them and what are some gaps that you should be aware of when they're walking into that process i'll probably start with you jeremy go from there uh well i would say you know they definitely want to take the opportunity to you know make friends with their counterparts during the exercise because you know they don't want to wait until it, the event actually happens to do that so uh, you know i think that's the biggest thing i i would say is a, a benefit of exercising is to make those relationships uh during that process uh, before before an incident occurs secondly uh, you know it's a great opportunity during exercises to identify their gaps you know they you know as the exercise plays out you know, how, how they were able to respond to it and then what uh, uh, gaps do they need to improve on? Do they need more equipment? Do they need more training? Do they need more um, personnel? Um, you know, so that's, that's another uh, opportunity that they can identify during uh, an exercise. And I think finally, um, just, um, you know, be willing and open to learn new things and try things in a different way. Um, uh, that's something that I think is beneficial. Um, you know, I've learned things and exercises from other people that uh, I wasn't expecting to learn and uh, or, or wanted to until I actually saw them do it. And I think it's a benefit to go through an exercise and be able to learn from other people. So it's, a, it's all, all things that are positive to come out of exercises. Okay, I'm actually going to pump the brakes on my question because I have a side side 
question, I guess, for Jessica. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this, we're already going on a tangent. That's like it's my right. Animal, right? Let's do it. Yeah, it's it's uh we're, we're adding an inject to our exercise. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So you were talking about in the process identifying gas. Jeremy just brought it up again, and and in that process, that three-year process, you go through, you see an issue, you clean, you see an issue and clean, which by the way, is uh amazing because it, it, I see far too often those after actions come through and it's like that's a lot of nice to knows, so nobody does anything about them, right? Doesn't do anything about it. So if you're, you're going through and you're cleaning that process, you're identifying gaps, maybe gaps in capabilities, maybe gaps in competency, maybe gaps in expectations, and you have the artificiality of, uh, of an exercise sometimes that doesn't provide the amount of stress that happens on people, the adrenaline that happens to people in uh, real time. Um, when you identify those gaps with your stakeholders, how do you approach them? I, I, have, uh, I have some experiences of working great with friends and then you, uh, and then the other time you see like these issues, you're like, ooh, like you really don't under even understand your own role. Either you're new to your role or there's a capability issue. How do you walk through with them without uh, uh, eroding that relationship you just built? I think... Um... Oh, that is just a super question. So for me, <laughs> ta-da! Yeah, um, that's one question. <laughs> good inject. That is a good inject. Very good. Thank you. Um, for me, the thing that I have found is that there is a, a respect thing that's going on here. When I'm taking an organization or a jurisdiction, whoever that is, through an exercise series, we know up front, we're gonna find something somewhere. Um, for me, it's very easy to hear or see, oh, so tactically they know what to do. They just don't have it written down anywhere. They don't have a plan. That, depending on who my um, individuals are, that may or may not be how I approach it. Um, it could just, it could be me saying, you guys got this civil unrest thing. You, you know what to do. It's clear because if I ask you at a tabletop tactical operational questions, there's no hesitation. You tell me boom, 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 boom. And we do this and I call him and I do all of the things. But then when I ask you questions that revolve around the planning piece, what does your plan say about this? But if I ask the same question of, well, what happens if this happens? And there's an answer here, but not here. Then I know, and that's how I can say, we need to work on your plan and let me help you with that. So it's not just, uh, but I'm also going to hold them responsible too. So in the state, we also have a corrective action program. So as you were saying, the after action reports, the improvement matrix are like, Ooh, okay. And then we put it up on a shelf and say, we did this exercise and that's all that, that it is. But what we're trying to do is a corrective action program to say, this is when it's going to be addressed this plan is going to be written and this is by who by when and then we'll we'll tabletop it again and so there's a plan there to make sure that we talk about we've got to write this plan down because i hate to say it the guys and gals that have been doing this for as long as i've been alive aren't going to be doing it for ever and there's going to be people coming in like you said that are new that need to be able to pull a plan because they don't know to call the sheriff over here if something in this area goes awry. So 
the way that I'm speaking to you nine times out of 10 and Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy knows because I drag him all over the state. This is the way that I am with my, with my folks, because I have found that honesty and respect and saying, this is, you guys are awesome. Here's the thing. You guys are great, but you could be better here and I can help you with that. And that's my role. And that's next level. As far as I'm concerned, doing that corrective action program together, helping I'm from the state. I'm not here to take over. I'm here to, I'm a resource for you guys. And I drag FEMA with me too, don't I, Jeremy? Everywhere. And I, even if Jeremy's not there, I throw his name out there because I'm like, then Jeremy Schwartz at FEMA.gov can help you too. <laughs> it sounds like a party. Like I, I, I'll just get in the back of the, the back of the truck if I can and just tag along. So <laughs> okay. So you're talking about honesty. You're talking about respect. You're talking about just calling it out for what it is. Um, Jeremy, I'm going to piggyback off of that. We're going on a full inject here. Right. Um, sure. So we're all, like I would say, 90% of this field is A-type personalities, right? We all think we're the yeah. alpha. We all think we're the top dog, the head honcho, the big cheese, numero uno, right? Um, and historically, the field, again, I, I've been addressing this uh, quite a bit on the show and both of the, the, the conferences I've been going at. Before... DHS before these college programs, you, you know, the field is definitely changing, but historically the field is led by retired fire and police uh, who come from a command and control and emergency management. It's all about collaborate and cooperate, which is what Jessica is talking about. So as you're approaching people and you're saying, Hey, you're awesome. But uh, I love the, I love the uh, thought by Jessica actually, uh, Hey, let me be, uh, let me be a support and a value added and not just tell you your problem, but also provide a solution, which is I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, as you're dealing with these different personality types, do you inherently walk away saying, okay, they, their pride level is pretty high here. I'm going to need to have a contingency plan because they can't recognize their gap. Or if for whatever reason, that relationship as you're talking to them, you're, you're able to, you're able to see that they're putting up those walls again. How do you, as a fed, uh, by the way, going down to the golf, big FEMA on my shirt, not very popular. How do you overcome maybe initially at the exercise or as you're having to approach, uh, capabilities again, piggybacking up for what Jessica said, how is you, how are you as the federal, uh, guy in the room, overcoming hey i'm big brother yeah so that, that's actually a great question so i've been with the state now for another good a question but well a great done. question <laughs> so i i've been in indiana here now for for going on to a two point you know plus years here in the state of indiana so initially you know i met those robot blocks i, I you know i've come across those barriers and i had challenges dealing with the you know individuals at the, at the state and local level um but Throughout my time, you know, unfortunately with COVID, that allowed me to build and foster my relationship here with the state. You know, it wasn't something that was going to happen overnight, but through the course of the last two years, you know, I built relationships at the state level. I've been able to get out to the county level and build relationships at the county level that, um, you know, they do have that feeling that I'm from the Fed, I'm the Fed and I'm here to help that we don't want that help from the federal government. But truly, I'm here in a supportive role and to, 
be able to explain that to them in a way that helps them understand that I'm just here to offer suggestions, ways to you know make improvements, you know reduce your gaps and increase your resiliency. I think you know through time it has helped to to build relationships throughout the state at the county level and at the state level, and and, and I just want to say with my other federal agencies that are in the area too, you know, because they, they have a, a dog in the fight as well. So, you know, bringing all those players together, you know, other federal agencies, the private sector, the local level, and, you know, that whole community approach to training, exercise, planning, preparedness. Um, it's something that just doesn't happen overnight. And, and it's, it's a work in progress and it will continue to be a work in progress for years to come, unfortunately, but it, it, it as long as people are willing to, um, you know, be supportive, make change, uh, identify their, you know, ways to improve. I think that everybody will eventually be successful. Yeah. I like, I like the, the, so what you're both talking about is this axiom. Um, so Rodney Melsick, like I call him the godfather of planning because he's st still secretly like influencing yeah. all the planners around the country, even though he's retired, yeah. he's definitely the godfather there, but, um, he has an axiom that says the process is more important than the product. Yeah. I have taken that for myself seeing as a business owner and saying like, Hey, your, your, your outcome is important. So what I say for my axiom is the process is just as important as the outcome. Still have to have good outcomes. And uh, what you're really both talking about is that process and trying to get to win uh, as in W I N win. And really like, you know, basically trying to take on uh, the Ohio State football team methodology of just constant winning, right? Improvement and winning. Um, and until you get to a bowl game, we're not even going to talk about that. That hurts. Um, but like, <laughs> really like the, the reality here is uh, just putting in my two cents. Um, I'm one of those guys who always provides my opinion. Uh, yeah, dealing with a bunch of personality types, dealing with a d d bunch of different competency levels and experience, uh, exercises, uh, the more you can work with people, time. Um, you say resiliency, Jeremy. I say disaster tough. Like, this is how you build disaster right. tough communities. I don't want to have to bounce back. That's like my end state. I want to not have to have a disaster. And really the best way to do that is everybody coming to the table, you already know them by first name, and... Uh, Jessica, Jeremy, and John get in a car and get to go meet everybody because you guys sound super cool. But uh, and I'm in St. Louis, so I'm not too far away. No, you're not. Uh, yeah, you're not. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, but like seriously, like that's how it is. I also think it's really, really important that emergency managers, um, you know, sometimes emergency managers think they have a monopoly on different skill sets. Like really. You could take a, a, a project manager and throw them into emergency management and they'd probably be very effective. You could take someone who has an economics background, like our uh, chief operations person here at uh, Doberman, Franzi. She's very good at understanding analytics of a disaster. And so like walking through that, just understanding different skill sets and how they apply, um, we could probably be better as emergency managers or at least... The, the best emergency managers are truly the best coordinators and building relationships. It's um, so funny, if I may, um, it's so yeah. funny, Jeremy, I'm flashing back to this very similar conversation in which we've been focusing. So we worked together on FEMA Region 5 Youth Preparedness Council. And last year we were talking about how you don't have to have a degree in Homeland Security to make a difference in emergency management. Right. 
you can have a computer background, you can have a writing background, you can have all these different backgrounds and there's a place for everybody somewhere. So long as to your point, John, we open our minds, we, we have the same end goal, we get to the table and we talk. And that's exactly right. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that. And I agree that uh, diverse backgrounds, I'm not I'm not a person who usually brings up diversity because I think the more you focus on that, the more divisive it actually becomes just by looking at like the social vulnerability index. And there's a really good book called Social Vulnerability that talks about that. But a diverse, just understanding that you should have a diverse backgrounds and opinions and uh, cultures does help, but focusing on it is a totally different thing. But understanding that and the benefit that it has is incredibly important. I will say that emergency managers of the future like the degrees that are, are be, starting to be produced and the, the outcome is a guy who has two degrees in emergency management and i i'm a big uh, fan of that i think emergency management in terms of an academic perspective has to deal with the stress of making big decisions from afar and um, it's very different than your first responder and you're pulling people directly out of the mud you have to be able to see a dot on the map and say, that's a person. And um, from a guy who works 16, 20 hour days for weeks on end during responses, you have to be able to d- handle that stress and understanding the laws and the policies. And there's a lot of like Stafford Act, the camera, all that stuff that specifically applies. So yes, bring your background, bring your knowledge, be a value added. Also get more training from yeah, Doberman. Sure. From the 100%. state. <laughs> just yeah. Well, like, yeah, 100%. Like, good calls out. Good call out. Well, as we wrap up here, I just want to give both uh, Jessica first, you, and then Jeremy, your final thoughts on um, how you can or what the, the field can take from both your perspectives, because again, background of perspectives, different perspectives, and um, really what you would hope to see in the field moving forward. Jessica. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to chit chat with you about this this topic. Um, I think for me, it's, it's really kind of what we've already talked about. It's just breaking down this wall of, yes, I'm from the state. I'm not here to take over. And I think that, you know, we get lost in semantics of, uh, oh, yeah, the whole community approach, you know, but there there is something to that because disasters begin and end locally in that community before maybe I at the state or, or Jeremy, you know, we even know that something's going on. Um, and so I think if we can just collaborate and, and see me as a resource, I'm not a threat. I'm not, I, I hang my ego up. It's up. Um, and let's just be open and be honest. Let's get ready. Let's be disaster tough for that thing that's coming that we don't maybe know, yay, that we don't maybe know is coming, but we can be ready for it. If we just sit down, we talk about these things, we go through these exercises, we train and we plan together. We're already on the team before the game even starts. And we're already hooked up. We've got those relationships and we're good to go. And that's what's going to stabilize that incident. That's what's going to save lives. And that's what we're here for. I love that. Management is hard. (laughs) So why not bring more people to the game? Yeah, one team, one fight. I love that right. idea. All right, perfect. Jeremy. 
Yeah, so I just think as a profession, emergency management's going to, you know, continue to be refined and increase, you know, its foothold in, in society in the years to come, you know, with the changing of disasters, you know, constantly impacting the country, um, our territories, et cetera, you know, we're seeing, and you know, between hurricanes, wildfires, you know, everything that's going on right now, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be looking for, you know, that collaborative individual that wants to take on a role, you know, at that 30,000 foot, that has the vision of a 30,000 foot person that can see the whole picture, you know, and be able to, you know, go out or, or respond to an incident in ways that, um, you know, support those those first responders on the ground to increase their uh, response, you know, and then the recovery aspect of being able to recover better uh, from that, that incident when it happens. So, you know, emergency management is just going to continue to be a field that uh, I think uh, uh, if you're coming into it now, you're going to really, uh, you know, have a, a brighter, better future going forward. I love that. I, I love the both of those perspectives there. Um, talk about like throwing lobs to each other, knocking out of the park. And it shows that both of you from the state and from the federal perspective are, are looking at this both from your different angles, but you're, you're able to build off each other. And that's really what you're talking about here. And that's really the message of both emergency management and uh, this, this episode. We're probably going to have to come up with a clever name because we, we hit on several different topics, whether it's from uh, power outages to Ohio State being amazing. I like that you both agree with that. Um, go Buckeyes. Yeah, go Bucks. Yeah, Michigan sucks. I think that's the whole phrase there. Um, yeah, so there, we covered a lot of topics, and you're talking really about big picture stuff. You're talking about 30,000 foot level, Jeremy, and then you both just gave uh, powerful examples of collaborating with other people at that 30,000 foot level, being able to see all the stakeholders that you'll be involved with that, uh, those exercises that you do really help identify who their key stakeholders are, uh, the contingency plans, the, the, the gaps to be able to refine and refine and refine. And I'm a big fan of that. So, uh, congratulations to you both for, for doing well. Um, and I'll probably see you on the road. I'll jump in the back of your SUV here soon. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. Yeah, great. <laughs> definitely going to have you both back on the show sometime because uh, we talk about exercises and a lot. And I, I think there's uh, a lot more to be said about that. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank if, you. if you like this show, which you should have, this is my shameless plug. You need to give us a five-star rating. You need to subscribe. You need to uh, ask us a question. If you're on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, uh, or Instagram, Facebook, whatever, for the Disaster Talk podcast, or you have a question about our work at the Doberman Emergency Management, reach out to us, ask a question. If you have a follow-up, you can always send us an email. We get lots of emails from info at dobermanemg.com. But please be have the, have the uh, gravitas to ask the question on social media and let Jessica or Jeremy answer directly. Um, and we'll see you next week.